Alpert and the T1 of Brass. I'm Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. It's rare in life, listener, to meet someone who is simultaneously warm, principled, and conspicuously talented. And yet all three of those adjectives describe my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio. That guest is Craig Robinson. You have probably come across Mr. Robinson's infographics during your time on the information superhighway, whether it's at his website, Flip Flop Flyball, or potentially his book of the same name, or alternatively, perhaps one of the sites, one of the many sites that has linked to and praised his work. And what follows, I'm joined by Mr. Robinson from his apartment in Mexico City. We discuss how it is that an Englishman, which Mr. Robinson is, ends up being a baseball fan, how an Englishman also ends up in Mexico City, and in what ways Craig Robinson's professional training in illustration has allowed him both to interact with and celebrate a game that is both relatively new and exciting to him. Please stay tuned, listener, for this edition of Fangraphs Live. outwardly and very superficially about you that are weird you a you're an english person who who cares a great deal about baseball yes uh, which is not uh, typical and then secondly you live in mexico city you're an english person living in mexico city mm-hmm. uh, i want to know um i want to know about both those things what what's what's more fascinating to you or what's more interesting for you to talk about um, both are both are fine. I think I mean, people do tend to find it. I mean, I think that's one of the the joys of actually getting into baseball was um, uh, at the time I was a smoker and going to stadiums. You know, you end up talking to people in the smoking area, and um, they're always fascinated that an English person prefers baseball to cricket. So uh, from that point of view, it made my experience of being at baseball games so much better because it, it wasn't just uh, it wasn't just really coming to a sport. It was actually sort of getting to know people who weren't New Yorkers, basically, because that had been my only experience of the United States up until that point, really, was getting to know people who lived in New York. Um, so, so that's where it started then. Your interest in baseball started in New York? Yes, yeah. Okay. Uh, just business trip. Oh, okay. All right. Business trip. So, so you were living in somewhere in England at the time, or you're in Mexico? Uh, I was, I was living in uh, Berlin at the time. Oh, where? Uh, and we should say that you're, uh, I think, probably first and foremost, at least professionally, a graphic designer. Uh, illustrator. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, and uh, uh, anyone who's who's anyone in the arts has to. Uh, I think it's mandatory. You have to put in a certain amount of time in Berlin. Is that right? I think, yeah, it is these days. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and so and so you find yourself there circa what years then? Um, from 2000 till 2007. Oh, okay, all right. So 2007, and then and so you came over and you found yourself in New York, and was it sort of on a lark that you decided to attend a baseball game? Um, it was mostly because uh, um, that I'd seen a couple of innings on television. Um, in the hotel and it was just really confusing for me so uh, I spoke to a couple of colleagues who I knew were into uh, the Yankees and the Mets and um, tried to sort of like put forward the idea of going to a game and uh, the company that I was working for 
at the time they had uh, they were doing the advertising for the Mets, so I assumed that we'd go to the Mets, but um, I didn't really realise that the schedule would you know have only one team in town at the time, so I ended up going to see the Yankees, and, uh, and that was it really. It was just confusing. Had those two people there helping to explain everything to me, um, and it sort of it did sort of open up in front of my eyes, and like everything seemed to make sense when you have people willing to put up with your stupid questions, you know, like how long does an inning last, you know, those sort of stupid questions. Right, well, you need to know those things. And and probably with baseball, uh, of course, if anyone has found their way to Fangraphs and is listening to this podcast, then it then obviously it's something as simple as the rules of the game are, 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 to, are something that listener has taken for granted for years. But it, I agree. I mean... I don't know. I don't know exactly how analogous uh, baseball and cricket are in terms of this, but I know that as someone who has actively been interested in following cricket at some level before, um, mm-hmm. and later, and you know, sort of more recently in my life, have been exposed to it a great deal uh, through the novels and short stories of P.G. Woodhouse, mm-hmm. uh, who was an absolute uh, <coughs> cricket fanatic. Uh, it's still complicated. I know that overs are a thing. Um, they are. I know that um, there there are York York Yorkers. Yeah, I think I think that I, I'm not big on cricket, but I think that's when you uh, when the bowler throws the ball and it doesn't really bounce very far away. It's like it almost hits the bat like a volley. Right, <laughs> and 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 then and then there are a lot of um, terms just for like you know like side off and side on and yeah, silly mid off. As well, those are the ones I was uh, uh, friends of mine that are into cricket. Um, those are the phrases that I mock about cricket. But I feel like I kind of should give cricket another go now that I've actually gotten into baseball. Yeah, it yeah, you. It would make a lot more sense now to me. It's an entry level uh, bat and ball sport, is what you're saying. Um, but baseball, you mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's rounders, I guess. <laughs> so, so, so you go to a game in uh, uh, somewhere in the aughts, we're saying. Uh, that was 2005. Okay. Uh, now, was your was your interest in the game immediate then? Pretty much after that, yeah. Um, the rest of that trip, I sort of watched games on television um, to try and pick, and it sort of immediately made more sense. And once I got back to Europe, subscribed to MLB TV. Um, and because of the freelance nature of my work, I could stay up late at night watching live games, um, you know, which ended around, you know, a Yankees game would probably end about four o'clock in the morning. Um, I remember there was that, uh, I think it was 2005 World's, uh, sorry, playoffs when, um, there was that really long Cardinals Astros game. I remember waking up like around nine o'clock in the morning and it was still going on or something. Um, it's a very late night. It's difficult to be a fan in Europe, as anyone who still lives there will tell you. Right, it is. Now, I wonder, because I know um, I've spent some time um, off and on over the last uh, 10, 12 years being fascinated, by, um, being fascinated by European soccer um, mm-hmm. and have at times uh, followed you know, the English League or the Italian League or the Spanish League um, rather closely, and for a year or two, the, uh, the French League, because my wife had spent some time in Marseille, and I had had the opportunity to watch uh, Samir Nasri and Frank Ribéry on the same Olympique de Marseille team. 
which was really great. Um, but I know that, like, for me, definitely part of the joy of, of watching those uh, games um, was because it, it has a, an element of tourism about it. And there's obviously the, the sort of exoticism at some level of watching a sport that is not played in, you know, whatever, your municipality. Uh, but there's also, like, especially, you know, especially, like, watching um, Siena uh, play, play a soccer match. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the camera angle is such that, like, you kind of feel like you're in Siena, um, and yet you don't have to watch, like, a, a sort of tourist program about it. it. It's a sort of sport and tourism combined. I, I wonder, is that part of the draw for you, or was there something sort of innate to the sport? Um, yeah, I think it was. Oh, I, I, um, I enjoyed visiting New York in general. You know, I've been several times, and uh, it Getting to it is kind of true in that sort of kind of tedious sort of Ken Burnsian way of describing baseball that uh, you know you get to know baseball and you do get to know America to a certain extent. Um, and from the point of view of like um, it exposed me to what life was like outside New York um, to, to the niceness of people in. Milwaukee, for example, or even in Chicago, you know, like one of the um, one of the nicest experiences I've ever had at a baseball game was getting on the um, the subway in Chicago, going to a White Sox game, and asking uh, a woman in a, a jersey, you know, if I was on the right side of the train track, and um, she went out of her way to take me over to the car park to show me where the old home plate of Comiskey Field Park Comiskey Field. Um, where that was, um, and you know, it's just those, those little things which sort of make the people of another nation uh, real in your head. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, that's uh, no, that sounds uh, sweet, uh, and it sounds like that would it would be hard um, to. I mean, it, it seems like it would be hard to continue liking or to not continue liking baseball after after that sort of thing, or just to have that yeah, sort absolutely. of moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, she did spend a lot of time telling me why the Cubs sucks, though, on the journey. So was she, was, she, out. was she right? I mean, because the Cubs, Cubs have sucked for a while. I guess she was right. Um, that was because uh, I kind of went to uh, see the White Sox as an afterthought. It was kind of more like, well, I'm here, so I should go. Because obviously, you know, you have to go to Wrigley Field. But I must admit, I enjoyed. Uh, U.S. cellular field experience a lot more because it just wasn't sort of filled with the expectation of going to the cathedral. It was just going to watch a game and sitting around drunken people from Chicago. You know, that was it was just a lot more fun experience in that. Well, the real challenge is to sit around sober people in Chicago. If you can accomplish that, (laughs) then then you've accomplished something something important in life. (laughs) Um, So maybe put that on your put that on your your bucket list, Craig Robinson. I will do. Yeah. Um, so, so then, now did you, as this is happening, and you're, you, you have mentioned the Yankees a couple times, I wonder if this is an allegiance you developed initially, and if it's one that you still hold. Yeah, I've stuck with it. Um, I think it's just coming from a, a British football, um, background, it's like you just don't change teams. For better or worse, I've come to root for the Yankees, yeah. Well, what's your what's your British football team then? Uh, Liverpool. All right, and is that are are you a Liverpudlian then? 
I'm not, no. I grew up in a family that didn't really follow sports that much, and uh, Liverpool were doing quite well at the time, and therefore they were on television at the time, and, you know, front runner all the way, I guess. Is that is that the uh, the what the the Kenny Daglish era? Yeah, yeah. Liverpool, they were very strong then. Yeah, they was. Uh, um, I did have a lump in my throat when he came back to manage uh, last season, uh-huh. just because he was meant so much to the club over the years. Now, uh, well, a peculiar thing, and uh, as a plane, is it that just crashed into your building? That's gonna, that's, um, that's gonna no, it might be. Um, I've been a helicopter because there's a couple of helipads um, on my street. Um, helicopters scare the shit out of me, in general. And having two on the street, I, I do have those sort of horrific fantasies that I'm going to be lying in bed and sliced up by <laughs> some, some blades coming through the window. Uh, that's dark, yeah, but it's also something to worry about. I would worry about that too. Um, well, we'll we'll be thinking of you, uh, um, Craig Robinson, not just during this podcast, but after too. I'll be dreading for you. Um, <laughs> Thanks. No, okay. So I want to we could discuss your Yankees allegiance, but it uh, is actually sort of interestingly tied up, uh, maybe with your football allegiance too, because of course the um, the same group that owns the Red Sox. AKA the mm-hmm. Yankees' most hated rival, uh, also owns Liverpool. Does that uh, is that sort of too abstract um, to bother to really mess up your 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 team allegiances? Um, it might have been um, had Liverpool not previously been owned by the guy who owned the Rangers, who uh, really messed things up um, for Liverpool. So just getting rid of him, um, Tom Hicks was. Uh, just a godsend, and frankly, I, it, you know, anyone is better than that. So I'm not that bothered by it. Um, I know my friends find it amusing, especially Red Sox fans that I know. Um, uh, but yeah, it is what it is, I guess, these days. You're not too worried about if, it, though. yeah. Not really. I mean, if if I was to go straight down the line with my opinions on in other areas of the world, it would be very difficult to justify supporting any sports team, I think, just because of the ownership. And, you know, while there are some people who uh, are more on the same political side of things as me, owning baseball teams, the majority of them don't seem to be on that side of things. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so, sorry, so you, uh, you're a Yankees fan. So uh, are you sort of, would you consider yourself at this point a big fan of the Yankees or are you a bigger fan of baseball more generally speaking um uh, sorry I've just seen that Manchester City have scored against Liverpool Uh, um if the Yankees went away I'd still be a fan of baseball so you know I'm more of a baseball fan than the Yankees fan yeah um it's uh I've come to realise that uh the supporting of a team is sort of quite a ridiculous endeavour, really. I can see why psychologically we would do it. You know, we want to be part of a gang and stuff, but uh, to get so annoyed by things, you know, I've, I find myself doing it, but you... Like, um, there was a chapter in the book uh, which was about going to see a Mariners game um, when they played the Red Sox, and I was there... Um, pretty much only to, to root against the Red Sox. 
um, and um, and the Mariners won, and it was you know like uh, I took the long way out of the stadium just so I could see more disappointed Red Sox fans. Um, yeah, um, I think that's a, a really, that's a feeling that only that there are only German words for. <laughs> there must be. Um, um, but it just seems just a ridiculous thing to do. Um, and after I wrote that chapter of the book, um, quite soon after that, I was in Toronto at the time, I did go and see the Blue Jays play the Red Sox, and I found myself a little bit freed from that feeling. Because reading it back, it's just like, this is insane, you're a f***ing idiot um, <laughs> doing this. Um, uh, and sorry, I just totally realised after listening to... Um, What's his name? Dame Perry. Oh Always yeah. Swearing, making you putting the uh, bleeps in. I've realised that. Oh no 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 no. See, I um I care about you. Um, he he's he's a he's constantly a pain in the ass. So that's different. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't worry about it. So what happens when if if he says fuck really oh, long? Oh, if really you you have to put a really long beep in. There. I haven't. Well, now I'll experiment with that. Seeing as as uh, you've just provided that opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> Good. <laughs> uh, uh, no, let's let's talk about the book, for example. And and now it's a book. The the book is flip flop fly ball. Correct. And it is. Um, I mean, at its base, it, it it's full of the thing that has sort of been um, the the main way in which you've interacted with baseball, at least sort of publicly, which is um, infographics via infographics. Yes. Yeah. And to, can you talk just briefly about how the infographics began, like maybe your first one or the sort of the, the first most exciting ones for you? Um, I think the first one actually isn't in the book or never made it to the website. It was just simply a map uh, of uh, the country with each team um, and just a different color for the divisions just to help me start to understand, you know, the geography of the sport. Um, and with so much to learn and, it's, it's one of the things that I enjoy the most about baseball, that history is present every day in the sport. You know, it's not the same as in soccer. You know, I can, you can watch Liverpool versus Manchester City and not really know anything about the past of either of those two teams. But it seems impossible to watch, you know, Cubs versus the Cardinals without Ernie Banks or Stan Musial being mentioned at some point. Um, uh, and it's just, just this overwhelming mounting of information for a newcomer. And um, just the way my brain works tends to visualize things to remember it, and that's kind of how it all began, really. And then, and then you really got into it. Now, I think that uh, you have the the URL flipflopflyin.com. Um, mm-hmm. what, what came first, the f- the flipping and flopping, or the, or the baseball? Uh, the flipping and flopping became uh, first because I've just been doing flip flop flying for like. 12 years now it's just uh, drawings and animations and more silly stuff um, and then when I started to get into baseball I was putting those infographics up there um, to the shrugs of Europeans um, <laughs> um, so just to, to it really was to spare the, the visitors to my site having to put up with my little obsession um, I uh, pushed it aside to flipflopflyball.com where um, um, I just kind of didn't really expect anyone to notice 
um, but then other people <laughs> notice. You know. Right. It's, it's so had so had the book come about then? I, um, was it? I mean, from the very beginning, we were like, oh, I, if I do enough of these, uh, I'll put them together in in a book form. Or alternatively, was it uh, that you had a bunch of them and then uh, somehow the idea came about that this could be a book? Um, I had a b- bunch of them, and also um, I'd just done another book which um, had been a massive failure. Um, which is what? Which is which book? Uh, it's called Atlas Schmatlas. Okay. Um, yeah. No, no. We we need to celebrate our failures just as much, uh, if not more so, than our successes. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Um, it was yeah. It was a sort of meant to be funny atlas um which came out about three weeks before the onions funny atlas did which was unfortunate <laughs> for me um and because because the the cover was drawn in a sort of slightly cartoonish way um there was some school i think or library i think it might have been georgia or somewhere like that where they gave a bunch of them away sealed to children without realizing uh, that it wasn't for children would there be and any- one of the yeah, is there anything in there that's decidedly inappropriate for... Yeah, there's a lot of things. Like one of the first illustrations is um, of uh, penguins in Antarctica um, with a sign saying, polar bears, f*** off. Um, <laughs> uh, so there were angry parents in, uh, I think it was Winston-Salem. Oh, yes, in know. fact, that's... Uh, that's that's um, uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina is where... Uh, uh, right. Uh, Fangraphs managing editor Dave Cameron lives. Ah, right, there you go. He might have a copy of it and might have been disgruntled. Yeah, no, no well, he, he doesn't have any children yet. Um, we, he, he's one of the, the um, Americans who has to get a license before he's allowed to reproduce, and that's uh, <laughs> for the good of everybody. Uh, uh, someday, though, someday for him. Um, so you enraged people in the American South, although it, it probably is not uh, not. Not the most, not not a skin, not a lot of skin off your back, as far as that's concerned. Not really. Um, it, it was a little bit depressing that it sort of did uh, confirm a slight stereotype that Europeans have of the southern states. Um, but uh, apart from that, no. But um, yeah, at the time I'd just done that, and I'd, sp- I'd uh, been speaking to the editor of that book, and she was a baseball fan as well, and I showed her some of the graphics, and she. Um, she thought it might be interesting to do it as a book, and uh, when that publisher turned it down, that was kind of around the time I thought, well, I put all the, this work up into the uh, the pitch for it, so that was when the website was born. And um, about a month later, I met with an agent and then met with the editor at Bloomsbury and got it on. Yeah, and then it became a book, and now uh, you're world famous because of it. That's how, it, that's, yes. that's how it works, World right? famous. <laughs> it is, yeah. yeah. It's like, I think, hanging out with R. Kelly tonight. No, I mean, yeah. Um, I, I'm glad you mentioned R. Kelly. It's going to make this a better podcast than before. Um, I, want to, <laughs> I want to talk about um, Mexico City and why you're, why you're there, I guess. Uh, n- knowing you've lived in Berlin... It, mm-hmm. it seems less surprising now um, because it's just uh, these, there are these cities in the world that I imagine are awesome if you know how to use them correctly. And my sense is that Mexico City could be 
precisely like that. But I want to know about Mexico City and how you ended up there and what it's like interacting with that urban space. Um, I ended up here because after when, once I got the um, the deal to do the book, uh, I decided to go and spend the summer in Toronto uh, just so I could be in the same time zone as baseball and actually see some live baseball uh, while I was putting it together. Um, and the winter in Berlin had been particularly harsh. Uh, I just fancied sort of skipping a winter of Europe, really. So I came down here. I had a friend here. Uh, and I've been here about a year and a half since then. Um, it is, it's a mind-blowing city in the sense of just the scale and just the amount of people constantly around. Um, but as in all big cities, you know, you carve out your own little city within that city. Um and it doesn't seem massive to me now, um, even though it is. I don't drive a car, so I don't experience half of the headaches that drivers do. What is a district um, to live in or to visit if one is in um, Mexico City and has sort of a typical uh, sort of bourgeois tastes? Um, if you, uh, I would imagine being based in the Condesa or Roma uh, districts would be the best. There's all quite nice, nice Brooklyn-y type areas in by Mexico City standards. I think um, you would see there's cafes and nice restaurants, and you know you, you feel, but it feels a bit more European around there, I guess. Condesa, you said. Condesa. Condesa yeah. in Roma. Yes. Okay, noted. In neighboring districts. All right. Uh, question. Other question. Language. Oh. Um, mm. Do you speak Spanish? Uh, passable. I get by. Um, I've, I, I've been doing lessons. I'm, you know, I lived in Germany for seven years and I still don't really speak great German. I'm one of those terrible English speakers that doesn't really feel, you know, I, deep down I want to but I'm a little bit lazy as well or, you know, have other things that are more pressing because ultimately I can order tacos and order a beer. So I know what I'm doing. Yeah, that's kind of, yeah, you really want to nail tacos and beer down. And I would assume that that would be 90 or 95 percent of what's really essential. Pretty much tacos, beer and uh, just saying no to people who want to shine your shoes. Right. Also, uh, I think maybe like donde esta los baños, something like that. Yeah, um, well, usually there's a little uh, drawing on the doors, so you can kind of find them without even having to speak to someone. Of a banos, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, good, good. good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I always want to know where the banos is, uh, wherever I am, um, just as a point of, uh, I don't know if that's a personal preference or if that's international. But um, Do you have a bag or something? <laughs> like a colostomy bag? Yeah. I mean, just uh, for recreational use. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The uh, <laughs> so so you live in Mexico City. Oh well, let me ask you this other thing. Uh, in terms of cash money, I don't really trust mm-hmm. British people uh, to learn me on this because the pound. I think I think it's uh, isn't it like fifteen dollars to a single British sterling pound at this point? It's something uh, stupid. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. But is it affordable relative to Brooklyn, say, or an American? Oh yes, yeah, way more affordable. Um. I, I, I live in quite a fancy neighbourhood um, by Mexico City standards, um, 
and I'm playing paying like about half the rent that I pay, paid in Berlin, which again is cheaper than living in Brooklyn. Which so. is cheaper? Yes. So you make it sound really good. Are there drawbacks really I should good, know yeah. about? Wait, wait, I mean, do you get? Can you get polio there or something? I'm sure it's possible. I'm sure I can find a man who can give it to you if you want it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's what I like about Mexico City, though. They get things done there. They Absolutely. There's always a market for something. <laughs> yeah, there is. Do you... Uh, no, are there uh, things to worry about? What is what is crime like where you are? Um, I've not seen any, to be honest. You know, you hear stuff about people getting their car robbed and stuff or mugged on the street, but that happens everywhere. You have no car, you have no car though. No, exactly. Yeah. Perfect. You know, just behave like... Uh, sensible human being and don't walk around with loads of jewellery on and you're fine I think that's going to be tough when you're hanging out with R. Kelly that is true yeah, yeah but I imagine he's got some bodyguards that I could borrow oh yeah that's right I just think I can't I can't not mention this is <laughs> he, he has the song are you familiar with this song feeling on your booty um, I'm, I'm not no, but uh, <laughs> he has a song go down well here yeah he has a song called feeling on your booty and um one thing I like about R. Kelly is he always announces when it's the remix of a song. Um, he does that also for Ignition, the remix. He does. Yeah, he says, I, I don't Just usually... The first line of the song, right? Yeah, yeah, I don't usually do this, but let's break him off a piece of the, the remix. He goes even one step closer towards absurdity. Um a destination that it's, I mean, really at this point, it's just halves of halves of halves in terms of his, <laughs> his approach there. But he keeps, in the song, he keeps saying, what remix is this? And he sings it in his in his uh, honey-soaked voice. What remix is this? And then he answers himself. And he says, "Feeling on your booty." <laughs> and nice. It is amazing. Where do you stand on uh, background vocals done by the same the main singer? I've had a problem with that ever since I was a child. I think when I first heard George Michael doing his own backing vocals on Wham songs, yeah, it, it, it annoys me. Well, what you what it's impossible to because you understand that it's a phenomenon of the recording studio. Of course. Right, and so yeah. and, and so that's probably. You mean it's, everything's not live? Yeah, no, 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 no. I wasn't saying I wasn't <laughs> saying you, Craig Robinson, need to know something about modern music. I was saying that that um, right, but that, that's probably. I assume that 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 would be like your trouble with it, right? It's probably yeah, my it trouble is. with it. Is like this experience can't exist outside of the recording studio. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's my problem with it. That's frustrating. I mean, I guess if like, I guess that I would always consider how it's being used. If it's you know being used in a sort of banal way, then it's probably not great. I I always give uh, R. Kelly the benefit of the doubt. I don't I don't necessarily know that I subscribe to the notion that R. Kelly is a genius, but I do think that he does precisely the thing he wants to do all the time, and I respect basically everyone. Uh, of whom that's a description. That that seems like a pretty good way to go through life. Yeah, yeah, he's he's autonomous. Now let's talk about um, Craig Robinson, or let's talk about let's talk about Craig Robinson. Yeah, let's talk about R. Kelly for a couple hours after we're done <laughs> with the podcast. But I'm, I'm interested in sort of where you're at now with your uh, writing about and your in uh, infographic designing uh, with regard to baseball. Essentially, what is the future for Craig Robinson? Um, the future actually uh, got a little bit brighter in my wallet. By uh, I'm going to be doing some work for uh, Getting Blanks, you know, the score 
in in uh, Canada. Yeah, the yeah um, those Canadians. Yeah, well, uh, uh, Canadians maybe have, Dustin uh, Parks and um, that's the one. Yeah, um, um, Andrew Stoughton. Right, and Drew yeah. Drew, Drew Fairson. Fairson. Yeah. yeah, good um, good uh, gentlemen all it seems. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, fine fine drinkers. Um, they have. Uh, I'm going to be doing a fortnightly infographic for them, which is nice. Um, so it's, that's going to be interesting, just to, from the point of view that uh, I imagine there'll be some collabor- collaborative sort of element to that. Whereas before, most of the time, I'm just sort of working in this little stew of my own juices, of my own little obsessions of uniforms and distance and whatever. Um, so it's going to be nice to do something a little bit more collaborative one regard saying that word again no no but do you uh, now I, I assume that in your uh, sort of main career as an illustrator you, you deal with constraints as well yeah yeah I quite kind of like constraints constraints make um, it's my problem with Terry Gilliam films to be honest uh, it's like there's no constraints on the imagination and that, that makes the films boring which uh, to me that's what if, if you can just do anything then what's the point in doing anything at all? You know, you have to have some... The thing that makes life in general great is that, you know, we have to work around this gravity thing or this breathing thing. And because of that, we end up with aeroplanes and aqualungs and stuff. But if, if you can breathe <laughs> under the water... Aqualungs, yeah, that's true. Yeah, 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 continue. Yeah, yeah. If, 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 if a human being could do anything he's conceived of straight away it would be kind of boring i think well that's the problem that those uh, uh russian ol- oligarchs are always r- running up against right yeah the manhattan sized yachts and everything yeah right uh, once you've built everything uh, um once you have the capacity to do anything you know you've owned you've owned a couple uh, um premiership teams uh you know you've uh you know, you've spent time with every woman in Dubai. Uh, what what is there, what's there left after that? Um, yeah, but it's, I, it's difficult to know what's left to do after that because I don't think I'll ever be in that position. Well, what's his face? The um, is it Richard Branson? He he keeps trying to go to space. Yeah, he does. Yeah, it seems like a very sort of kind of boring rich man wish. I mean, because that's everyone's wish, isn't it? You know. Uh, yeah, is he going to make it happen, though? I imagine he's got enough money, he's going to do it. <laughs> Let's cheer him on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. Um, well, listen, man, uh, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. I hope you, to have you on a hundred more times. That would be lovely. Um, and I, I do appreciate, this is for my own very selfish purposes, uh, this information about Mexico City. It's a, Yeah, it's a great place. Uh, it's definitely... Um, Mexico gets a bad rap, obviously, because of the drug violence, which is, is just doesn't really exist in the city. Um, you know, it's all elsewhere in the country. And it's all obviously very, very horrible. But uh, the city itself, you just wouldn't really know it goes on. If, if you never looked at the front of a tabloid newspaper, you'd never know that it was going on, really. Yeah, better, uh, probably good for your quality of life never to look at one of those anyway, yeah? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, it's, not doing it's um, just lots of dead people lying, lying in pools of blood on the, the road. Right. Which is, uh, you know, not the nicest thing to see every day. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we don't need, we don't need to see that. 
helping, <laughs> helping no one. Um, yeah, well, no, but it has been it's been really great to uh, to talk with you, and I've been a uh, I've been a big fan of your work as uh, for as long as I've known about it, and uh, my guess is that I'll continue to be. So I look forward to those um, contributions to the score and and wherever else your work w- is to be found. Thank you. You're very kind. All right, that's Craig Robinson. I'm Carson Sestouli. We'll be talking about R. Kelly uh, for some time now, but uh, it is time to end this. Uh, recorded portion of the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Oh, pumping in the clubs everywhere.